This is Tom Harvey, the Economy Guy. Welcome to the world of macroeconomics and how it affects you. I am looking at the world's economics, trying to interpret them, and more importantly, wondering where they are going and what they are going to do to us in particular. So this is your window into that world. I don't give any personal financial advice. I just give information and facts as I see them, and occasionally my opinions. I want this to be an educational show for you, so you can learn to think for yourself and make your own great financial decisions. Please enjoy it, and welcome. It is Sunday, June the 13th, and this is The Economy Guy coming your way again. I have five segments as usual again this week. I'm going to start by the first segment, which is I'm going to recap the, the markets. I'm doing that in the context of the CPI number coming out last week for May of 5%. That's a big deal. Can't emphasize that. So what did the markets do when, as that came out? It certainly should have affected the markets, don't you think? Second, I'm going to have some tidbits. What are the little stories going on around the world or in the U.S. that kind of affect us and, and our economy? Third, I am going to talk in detail about that CPI number of 5%. What's behind it? What really went on there? How do we understand it a little more fully? I think that's important to, to have. The fourth segment, I'm going to talk about a, uh, an economist I highly respect who has made some predictions about what he thinks the future from a macroeconomic viewpoint is holds for us and why he thinks that um, so that you can consider it for yourself. So I've talked a lot about macroeconomics throughout each week. Uh, here's an independent person, independent of me, who is a true ec world's expert, and I'll give you some of his credentials, that uh, see what he thinks. And fifth and last segment is the uh, six precursors to a market crash. We'll talk about that. Things have changed and uh, make it a much more an interesting time. So with that, let's move along. So segment one, let's talk about the recap of what happened in the markets. We'll start with the Dow 30. What happened to stocks, in other words? Uh, the Dow 30, 30 ended at 34,480. That's down 276 points. If you look at the... Uh, the chart of what's happened to the Dow 30. My opinion is it's been going sideways at least for the last three months, and it continues to be in a true trend sideways, a slight upward uh, bias to it, but basically sideways, up and down, up and down, all within a channel. Um, this is uh, interesting. Uh, I wonder if it signals a long, long, long top to this thing, because normally a top is short term, but three months is a long time to be kind of pushing along, pushing on a string, really. Okay, how about the 10-year Treasury bond? Ended at 1.462%, down from 1.56. That's a significant drop of a tenth of a percent. It's truly a big move. And in the opposite direction of increasing interest rates. It was falling interest rates. Now, think about this. Inflation comes in at a record high of 5% for me. And the 10-year bond falls in interest. 
you would think with inflation you would have higher interest rates or at least pressure for higher interest rates, especially for something like the 10-year, which is market-driven, not Fed-driven interest rate. But it fell. Why? A little confusing. I'll leave that for you to understand and try to figure out. Perhaps the lesson here is don't try to predict what the market's going to do based on economic news, like a CPI number or any other number, like an earnings number. It can go anywhere, and that's something to keep well in mind, you can guess wrong. U.S. dollar, uh, it basically 121.07. It it uh, got stronger, a little bit stronger during the week. Still, side big sideways trend. I don't see a big deal here. What's happened? If you look at the big long-term picture of the U.S. dollar, way back in 2008, 9, 10, the U.S. lowered its interest rates. Poof, way down to zero, printed lots of money, quantitative easing, remember when that started. And uh, that made the U.S. dollar stronger. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, weaker, <laughs> wrong, wrong term, weaker against other currency. Other nations didn't want their, their currency to be stronger than the dollar as the dollar was being weaker than theirs. It's relative and back and forth, depending which side of that equation you're on. So they started doing quantitative easing. And so there has been a... Um, Currency war is the right term to be used. Going on with the U.S. dollar as the U.S. dollar has been doing quantitative easing, other countries are trying to keep up because they don't want to be to be have a really strong currency. Simple as that. Oil, $70.78, up from $69.37, uh, over a buck up, over $70. Orange flag, not a red flag, orange flag. This is inflationary, most definitely. And it's just getting more inflationary. Gold, 1878. That's down $15 from the previous week. Uh, weakness in gold, interestingly enough, in a high inflationary. Again, counterintuitive move in gold. You would expect it to go the other way. It did not. It went down. But then gold is manipulated. And uh, you just have to hang in for the long term because the long term trend is your friend here. That's it for segment one. And on to segment number two, tidbits. Let's hit the U.S. housing market. I got a couple of stories about the housing market, which are really good food for thought here. First one is, everybody knows that the lumber prices are really high, especially if you go out to try to buy some lumber. But somebody's actually sat down and done the calculations, and here it is. The increased price of lumber and other associated things add a certain amount of money to a newly constructed house compared to the pre-inflation uh, pre, uh, days, right? How much? How much money has it added to a price of a house? The answer is $34,000. That's how much a new house costs because of this increase in lumber and associated things. Big deal. Big deal. $34,000. Uh, that's kind of inflationary in the housing market, you would think, because uh, it should you know, in the long term, be pushing uh, second home, second homes, uh, used homes in prices up too. Another thing in the U.S. housing market, there is a kind of a, a newer phenomenon going on right now where, uh, where companies like REITs or uh, etc., companies with a lot of money where, that are in the housing market are buying up lots and lots of houses. 
lots of houses and then renting them out and running them as a rental. And uh, they're seeing that as a trend. I'm seeing it as a trend and they are outbidding individuals. Uh, it's certainly in the uh, first home buyers market. First home buyers are being outbid by these companies that are buying them up and that's driving prices up also. It's another indication. You know, we just look at home prices going up and we kind of say, wait a minute, well, home prices are going up, but uh, and that means pe more people are buying than there are houses for sale. That's true, but this is a group of people that are helping doing that push. It's not just individuals bidding houses, which is true. It's also companies that are doing it. So why, why could companies like REITs or uh, investment companies be buying up large segments of property? Because they hold big portfolios of houses. And what would happen if we went through another recession in the housing market and those prices fell, uh, we might find that those companies go bankrupt. And that could be a complete different outcome from the 2008 housing bust that happened. It could come because companies went bankrupt and they have to unload their houses rather than individuals going bankrupt. Interesting, interesting. The markets change. This is a change in the market, something to be aware of and watching. Okay, on to another tidbit. The Bank of Canada is following the, the direction of the Bank of Japan, and it is basically funding the entire deficit of the Canadian government. In other words, when the Canadian government or Japanese government spends more than they're taking in in taxes, that uh, excess is uh, funded by the Bank of Canada or the Federal Federal Reserve in the U.S. is doing only about half of the amount of treasuries being written by the U.S. Treasury. But when Canadian treasure, treasuries are, are funded, all of it are purchased by the Bank of Japan or, or Bank of Canada. And bank, if it's Japanese, if it's Canadian, it's the Bank of Canada. That's kind of interesting. I mean, look at this from a common sense viewpoint. I mean, I've always liked to kind of think of that. What if you, as an individual... Uh, you go out and you want to spend a whole bunch of money. I mean, there's a pile of things you want to buy. There's that new car and there, all that clothes and the glitzy. And you want to go to parties. And uh, so what you do is you go in your back room and you have a little printing press and you crank out some counterfeit money and you go out and buy your stuff. Um, isn't that kind of what's going on? Isn't, I mean, uh, just from a common sense viewpoint, yet... Yeah, the, yeah, the Federal Reserve can do it legally, and counterfeiting is illegal. That's the main difference between the two. But isn't the outcome the same? Food for thought a little bit here. And a new and last tidbit story. Two Iranian ships have uh, decided that they will go out into the Atlantic. Iranian ships. Think about that. The first ship is a destroyer. Uh, these are military ships, right? And the second is a uh, an intelligent ship. It is a converted oil tanker. So it's, you know, not the fastest ship in the world. And it uh, has a helicopter pad on it, which means it has helicopters. And it has seven fast uh, attack craft that it uh, has on, on board. So it can attack ships off of that one, too. That's the kind of thing that the uh, Iranians do in the Persian Gulf. So, interesting. Now, what's the official reason that it is in the Atlantic, that the uh, Iranian Navy has said, is that 
is that no port calls will be made. They're just going to go float around the Atlantic for a while and uh, in, the, in this mission. and be They're just going to test the Navy's ability to go into rough waters. That's a fit, the official line that's, that's being given here. There is concern by non-Iranians that think perhaps the Iranians might be going over to Venezuela to provide support of some sort over there. Uh, and uh, or any other countries that uh, are not friendly to Western powers. But so there you are. This, these are being watched closely. Uh, and as an, a little an aside, a tidbit earlier uh, in June, a uh, Iran's largest military ship, which is a big resupply ship, was sunk in uh, the Persian Gulf, and for no apparent known reason. Well, I will hypothesize that that no apparent known reason was somebody put a big bomb underneath the uh, ship and put a hole in the bottom and it sank. I would say that that's highly probable, and I could probably point to the characters that would be doing that, but I won't. So, uh, so be it. Uh, Let's move on to segment number three. And on to segment three. Let's do a special on the CPI. May came in at 5%, 5.0%. So what was not behind that number? What were the key items in the big list of inflationary things that pushed the CPI to 5%? Well, the big ones were car rental prices. Anybody try to rent a car recently? I've looked at them personally. Uh, used cars and used truck prices are way up. That pushed the price index up. Airfares are up. That's pushing that up. Those are the key things that push this to 5%. Now, there's dueling interpretations for what this 5% means, and I'll give those dueling things names, the bulls and the bears. The bulls, we'll start with them. Uh, they say, hey, the Fed is correct. The Fed says that these inflationary numbers are transitory only. In other words, they'll stay up a short period of time and then they'll come down. And, uh, you know, so it's not a problem is what they're saying. The, the more intelligent question is, how long will it stay up before it comes down? And how long is too long? Well, the Feds have kind of indicated three or four months is how long. They think it'll be transitory, then it'll come down. So I would ask the question then, well, what if the inflation stays as high as it is, you know, say above 4% in December? Is that too long? Is that enough for the Fed to change their mind and uh, raise interest rates and cause that crash of the stock market I've talked about so much? So that's the question. How long is too long? Well, we're in two numbers have come in. Last month was... Uh, 5%. The month before that was 4.2%. 4.2 got me going. 5% gets me going faster and louder. Whoa, my goodness gracious. And how about the bears? That was the bull story. The bears say, hey, there's some truth in that transitory thing. There are some things going on in the economy that will be transitory. And when the supply chain gets solved, those some of the prices will come back down, like lumber, perhaps, if the they can, you know, get enough lumberjacks out there cutting the trees, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. We'll see if that come, is true or not. 
because it has to be true to be true. That, uh, but there's more to this inflation than just transitory items, isn't there? And I say yes. Remember, I've been talking every week about a booming U.S. economy. It is boom, boom, boom going up. And it is going up in a big way because there's a strong economy out there. More and more people are being employed. More and more things are being purchased. People want to get out and go to restaurants. They want to go out and travel, get that vacation they didn't get during the COVID, right? Well, airfare prices went up. That's interesting. It's showing up demand. But my point there is a booming inflation means demand is up, which means prices are up. If that in demand continues, inflation will continue. And what about government spending? I mean, there was a $1.7 trillion bill that was passed at the beginning of this year. It's a lot of money. It hasn't all been spent yet. And there's talk about a 3 or $4 trillion infrastructure bill coming down the pike. Well, that should just say, hey, there's a lot more money that needs to be printed because there's no taxes for any of that money. And so that would all be inflationary. Wouldn't that keep pushing it? So... In an inflationary environment, I leave you with this one thought. Cash is trash. Some A food for thought to remember. And on to segment number four. In this segment, I want to talk about a gentleman whose name is William White. He is what I call a banker's banker. Uh, why do I call him that? He's uh, an economist, Canadian, worked in uh, many banks, works his way up, uh, finished in a very uh, prestigious position for the Bank of International Settlements, the BIS, uh, which is a Swiss organization, uh, an international organization, which bankers, uh, banks belong to. Only banks belong to the BIS. So he is trying to solve a problem, which is how in today's world's economy, how do you invest your money so that you protect yourself and grow your wealth? I mean, it's what's the fundamental desire of all investors. And so he's come up with his prediction based on what's going on in the world and what the future of inflation and deflation will be, because we've been, that's the theme that I've been having for many, many months now, what's going on. I'm giving you William White's prediction because I respect him and give you his rationale for having said this. But here's what he says, and then take it for what it says. He says in the next, we will have inflation in the next six to 18 months, period of time, minimum six, maybe going on to 18. Then in the midterm, after this inflation, we will have deflation. And then after the deflationary period, we will have big time inflation, big inflation, runaway inflation. If I, I, I'll add the word runaway. He did not use that word. Well, why is he starting that? The, let's start at the beginning of that, the first 6 to 18 months. Why are we having inflation? Well, it's because what's happened in the last six months. Uh, I mean, you know, what we've seen is the COVID, and we've seen the recovery, a massive, strong recovery from the COVID, and disruptions to the supply chain, everything everyone acknowledges, which is driving the current inflation. He agrees entirely with all of that, and it's driving inflation. So he sees that continuing for a while. His question is, what happens if it lasts more than six months? If that inflation lasts more than six months? That's a question I 
in the last segment I rose, raised myself. And his op opinion is, is if it lasts more than six months, the Federal Reserve will lose its credibility. And that's a major statement by him. Major statement. And what that means is if they lose their credibility, people will stop believing in the old adage, don't fight the Fed, which is kind of what's in play today. Don't fight the Fed. They're printing money, so stocks will stay high, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but if you lose that credibility, you will fight the Fed. And incidentally, if uh, the uh, Fed loses its credibility, what do they have to lose by raising interest rates at that point? And then what happens to stocks? They go down. And isn't that deflationary? Yes, it is. All of that is what he's thinking when he says, after the inflationary, we will have deflation going on. Now, that deflation, what's going on there? It'll be caused by a low growth environment. Okay, and stagflation and deflation, all of that will be happening in that second period, the mid-term mid period. And it's caused by the excess debt that we have. There's a, a world-class study that was done by Reinhardt and Rogoff that some of you need to look up if you're really interested in all of this. These gentlemen said, hey, the world's debt automatically slows growth. And all we've been doing is adding debt. The more debt there is, the slower that the growth is in a society. Why? Because the debt is non-productive in causing growth. William White goes on to, uh, after the deflation, to say that there will be a uh, generally a public outcry that something must be done at that point during this deflationary period in the midterm, and uh, and people must be seen to be doing something. The people to be seen are politicians, the Treasury, and the Fed in the United States and the equivalents around the world because all major nations are in this dilemma that we see. And his prediction at that point when action is taken to be seen doing something is that the Federal Reserve in the United States will monetize the debt. In other words, they'll just print more money until it's paid off. And they'll... They will uh, therefore rate, truly raise interest rates much higher, much faster. Will it be out of control interest? Who knows? There's too little data to predict that. But great inflation could be good. I mean, what could be, could is possible if you were a, a magician and you could create runaway inflation and then stop it at the end and only deflate or you know, have maybe 10 times as much, much money out there, which means you could pay off the old debt with dollars that are only worth 10 cents. Then, uh, wouldn't that be a nice world? Because all the debt would be nice, and we could kind of reset ourselves and go about having a strong economy that we all know and love, and we could all make more money happily without the deficit spending that's going on now. Now, um, there's a lot of... Uh, unrealistic wishful thinking in that statement. But who knows what the future holds? It depends on what the dreams are of future generations, because we're talking about something that's going to be happening years, years from now, you know, five, ten years from now is what he's predicting.
And on to the fifth and last segment, the six precursors that could bring down the stock market. The first one is the, 10, the interest rate of the 10-year treasury. It came in at 1.462%, which was a, a lower interest rate than the previous week and lower than the peak that it was. Remember, it was a roughly 1.8%. It's all come down again. It's going down. Totally counter-predictive, counter-intuitive of what's going on. But what's clear is that this is not a threat at all. So there's no indication. What we're looking for is a much higher interest rate, which would cause the Fed to raise interest rates, which would cause a stock market crash. So that is, uh, this says, that isn't going to happen. Uh, so why it's going down, I don't know, but it certainly is. Next, the second item is the high-yield bond. I'm looking for the value of high-yield bonds to fall off significantly over a cliff. Because that happens a few days or a week before the stock, a stock market crash. Highly predictive. And I look at a single value of a collection of high-yield bonds, which is, came in at 9.08, which is the highest number we've ever had. I'm looking for a low number. Last week it was 9.05. It's not today. This is 9.08. Never seen anything this high before. Amazing. This says that everything's safe. No problem. Buy stocks. Everything's cool. There's not a problem out there. Uh, people are buying. What this means is people are buying high yield bonds right now. Uh, people are searching for yield. If you can't get it in your bank account and you cannot, then what do you do? You go out and buy a junk bond that pays four or five percent, but has a high risk of being worth nothing in the future if the market turns around. So that's uh, sad, but commentary. The third. Uh, precursor I look at is the U.S. dollar itself. I'm looking for a falling U.S. dollar, which would cause import prices to go up, causing lots of inflation, and uh, therefore causing a market crash because stocks can't stand a, a, a truly inflationary environment uh, and caused by this kind of out, outside environment. But what happened is the dollar got a little stronger this last week, so we didn't. that didn't happen either. So none of the first three precursors are anything. They're all green, meaning no problem. It's going on. The fourth precursor, the CPI. This one is red, and that is May came in at 5%, and uh, is higher than the previous month, 4.2%. Remember, everything before that was less, was way down, was way down. You know, was within Fed striking distance. They want to. They said they would. They want to average two percent, which means a little bit above and a little bit below two percent. Well, four point two and five are not a little bit above. They're way above. So red. This is red. This is flashing red to me. Inflation is here. What? And I I declared that last month. I'm saying it even louder this month. Inflation is here. Look around you. Look around when you go to the grocery store. Look at your gas pump prices. Uh, they should all be higher. Everything is going up. Uh, now, can you actually touch and feel 5%? Yeah, you actually can feel that. That's uh, significant. You can't, it's hard to see 2% or 1%. You can't you hardly know it happened. But 5%, you can kind of see it's happening. Interesting. Red. CPI is red. Uh, is it in a crash imminent? No. But it is uh, a precursor in the sense that the entire economy is watching this and reacting to this. What if stocks react to this the wrong way? 
I ask you. The fifth precursor is the Federal Reserve policy changes. Have there been any? No. They've been 100% solid to not change anything. They're sticking with their policy. Uh, they're, they're buying up treasuries and they're buying up mortgage-backed securities at the rate of $120 billion per month. No change. Interest rates staying at zero. No change. No change. No change. This is green until they change. When they change, uh, it could turn red plus. Who knows? <laughs> Sixth and last is the bluebird. Has anything happened in the world that it was so significant that it could cause a market crash, like a war or anything like that? Well, we I didn't see anything that falls into that category personally. Uh, for example, you know, we have those Iranian warships out there, but they're not a threat to anybody. Uh, and they're a threat to themselves. Heck, they're in the Atlantic, never been out there before. They could sink due to a big wave. But we'll see. Uh, but they're not, you know, they're not threatening anyone. Uh, you know, nor was the uh, admission by the recently retired head of the uh, Israeli Mossad that the uh, Israelis were responsible for uh, the assassination of the head of the uh, nuclear program in Iran and uh, the blowing up of the uh, 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 machinery that's building the uh, atomic material in Iran. How did they do that? He admitted that what they did is they uh, had the flooring of that building supplied and little did they did the Iranians know when they built the building that the flooring contained explosives in it. So the Iranians just waited until everything was up and working and then they blew it up. Kind of interesting. I mean, those are the little things that are worth putting in the back of your mind of how the world really works. And that, that was an authoritative source talking about it. So it's not this is not make-believe or hypothetical. Ah, so if you heard of any bluebirds, Write them in. I'd love to hear them. Tom Harvey, 9526 at gmail.com. Also, if you think this is useful to any of your friends, it's the uh, podcast is free. Just have them uh, send them a link. Tell them how to find it. It's real easy to find on any po downloadable podcast reader. Just look up Economy Guy and it pops up and, uh, you know, or send them the link. Whatever. But thank you very much for listening. Wish everyone a great Great week coming up. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to hit that subscription button. This is Tom Harvey. I'm an investor and not a financial advisor. Nothing should be construed as advice or solicitation to make a trade in any market. And I disclaim any responsibility for any negative effect of decisions made by the listeners.